This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by the Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to thebeanbastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to the Bean Bastard for supporting this show. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is Marco DeSantis of Sugar Cult, who are celebrating 20 years of their first album, Start Static. Fuck, I can't believe it has been 20 years since that record came out. Um, If you are around my age in your mid to late 30s, obviously uh, Start Static had the very popular Bouncing Off the Walls, which a lot of you would have known from the Van Wilder movie. I believe it was actually like the lead-off single, as well as songs like The Way and just a slew of other great material on that record and throughout the whole band's discography. I am currently live on Facebook recording this and struggling to open this beer. There we go. Uh, I have a Weathered Souls Peppermint Stout. This thing comes in at a hefty 12.8 APV, so uh, interested to try this. I know it's a little bit not really in the peppermint season, but... Wow, it's actually really good. So a lot of times with mint anything in beer, a lot of times it's kind of rough. I know they're going to go more candy flavored, more super sweet. And sometimes with the peppermint, it's more of like a peppermint candy. It's more of like just straight mint. Uh, And I know that's a very weird comment to make that it's not necessarily a peppermint, but it's almost my same take with how a lot of breweries and a lot of beers, when you do a peanut butter or something or a peanut butter cup, a lot of times it's, if they do a peanut butter beer, it'll be more chocolate based with a hint of like, salty kind of peanut butter flavor and I find that a lot of mint peppermint things are the same way where it's like are you gonna get something that's like an actual mint are you gonna get something that's more kind of in a winter green or spearmint um so it is kind of interesting to see how a lot of companies will go about doing this that said this is probably one of the better peppermint 
flavored beers I've ever had, uh, especially for a stout. So the sweet really complements the uh, the back end of kind of the stout, the fuller bodied flavor um, and gives it something that you're you're not typically used to seeing with a stout, which is something a little bit more sweeter in the flavor profile. Um, so this is super good. Um, again, it's from Weathered Souls. It's just a straight peppermint stout. If you uh, are in the area to get one, I'm sure it's long gone, but uh, if you see one, pick it up. Uh, definitely worth a try. Um, the interesting thing about this conversation, though, kind of segueing back into it, uh, when I started this podcast, I actually had really wanted to get someone from Sugar Cult on the on the show because I love this, this album and this band so much, and it's really interesting to see how a lot of people identify Sugar Cult as being a pop band or a pop punk band but I think there's so much more than that and it's one of those where I tend to find that when you really listen to the band's discography you you kind of really see that there's more to the band than just being the bouncing off the walls band or or memory or any of the other singles that a lot of people know them from I think that actually kind of encapsulates sort of the melting pot of age is living out in, in Los Angeles and, and just all the different styles and genres that they are, but really kind of being a byproduct of the alternative scene uh, of the, the mid to late nineties. And it's a, uh, it's one of those where I think if you haven't listened to start static in a while or really the rest of their catalog, I strongly encourage you to, it's a, it's a really impressive three album, you know, retrospective, I guess at this point, but uh, just a lot of great music on there. Great, great, playing that's on it and it was really cool getting to talk to marco um you know he is one of those other than on his instagram he doesn't really have socials and, and neither do really any of the band so it's been kind of hard to keep up with what the band's been doing since uh basically the band is has gone on a hiatus i mean i know tim their singer slash guitar player uh started up a production career uh has done really well with that and does such interesting bands like you know that big uh walk off walk off the moon i think or walk off the earth uh that shut up and dance with me song that tim produced that like he helped you know write that write that song with that band and i remember actually that band getting to open for sugar cult like had won some kind of a contest uh like a decade plus ago and i think they opened for him here in michigan in kalamazoo uh i think if i'm not mistaken on the story of that but it's just one of those that uh i have always loved this band and i've always wanted to talk to someone and like a lot of the early bucket list guests i had for the show it wasn't necessarily like they're super prolific or they're super well known and and, and everyone knows who they are but it's one of those that they're important to me and the the impact they've had on me as a musician and as a music fan and that i think because there's not a whole lot necessarily out there about them or stories being told from this era that that's what makes them more interesting because they're they're stories that we don't know and speaking of stories you don't know i'm gonna stop talking let's get into my conversation with marco and we will see you on the other side of it Zoom and the pandemic and basically everyone wanting to do the, the the digital hangouts and so forth. I was like, what was wrong with Skype? Like Skype works and still works just fine. I don't know why we needed to come up with three or four different mediums <laughs> again to do the same thing that that's been doing for forever. Right. That's true. Skype was kind of there first. Skype was kind of, and I feel like now Skype is going to end up being like the Friendster 
of the, you know, like remember fr- like there was Friendster, then that didn't really work. And there's there's like there's there was like Zanga and shit like that. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll get pushed into the like the corner of history that, that where like Friendster and Zune and like you know um Rhapsody, you know, like Rhapsody was streaming before way before Spotify started. Zune was around way before the iPod. And it was around way before MySpace and Facebook and everything. So it's pretty, it's funny. It's just, you know, timing. Well, I think it's still weird that like Bandcamp still exists and people treat it like it's a new thing. And it's like Bandcamp has been around for a very long time. But I I think they're one of the few, though, that figured out an interesting way to pay artists with the whole Bandcamp Friday thing. And I think that was the one, one thing I'll give them that they were able to figure out to stay relevant and stay successful and keep everyone afloat. And it's, it's kind of interesting. Like I know I I don't know your age per se, but like I just turned 37 yesterday. So it's like, I have the recollection of the internet before it existed and then kind of the infancy of it. And so it's kind of interesting to just kind of see and remember all the things that we were so all about, you know, chat rooms and stuff like that. And being connected to people. As time marches on, you start to become a little bit like, you, you know, you, you become aware of that stuff. Uh, you know, I think most of us that are like mu- music fanatics, uh, we have that in common that we're, we, we think we're music fans, but what we probably really are, are culture, you know, like culture and an- analysts, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? On the surface, it's like, Hey, you're a music fan, but usually you scratch the surface of a music fan. You find someone who's actually um, a history buff. And then maybe a, a, a an armchair sociologist. You know, I think we, we think we're just digging our bands, but but because you can get so granular, you can get into different scenes and different movements and different eras and different. What you really realize as you become more of a grown up is like, oh shit! I think that I'm just uh, using music as the prism to view the world, but really what I am as a historian and a sociologist and a social psychologist and, a, and maybe like a cultural analyst and, and maybe even a meteorologist of some sort, you <laughs> sort of study the weather patterns of culture. And that's really what it is. And you nailed it. Like when you said about Bandcamp, I think Bandcamp's, I mean, aside from the fact that they have a most ridiculous name, they've done such a, um, they've done a really formidable job of pivoting and you know, not necessarily running to keep up with the times, but somehow adapting and acclimating to the times and then finding a way to still matter. You know what I mean? Whereas so many other companies and bands, let's be honest, are just like, they're just constantly out of breath because they're just running to try to catch the train, you know? And it's like, I always say to, to like young bands I work with, I'm like, don't, don't try to like you know, waste all your breath trying to catch the train that's already left the station, be the train, you know, build the next train, you know? And um, anyways, we could get into all that nerdy kind of talk, but uh, I mean, that's, yeah, I'm on my second cup of coffee. So well, I was going to say, I have like, where's my camera? I have my uh, cider because it's, it's fall season now. And then I got my water. So I have my, I'm ready to talk. Um, And thank, and thank you also, uh, Michigan, Grand Rapids. Oh, okay. Well, it's still pretty fucking early in the morning to be to be like hoisting a cider. Yeah. So well, it's not an alcoholic cider. It's just literally uh, cider. 
oh, okay, you're having like <laughs> apple cider. Okay, yeah, gotcha. great apple cider. I you were like, I thought oh, you were like powering a beer. I'm like, hey man, what's the what's the old saying? If you haven't had one by eleven, <laughs> you gotta have eleven by one, right? Yeah, there you go. Oh. Well, or no, it's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah there you go, five o'clock somewhere. But I was going to say, like, you know, actually a couple of points actually to something you were just saying, you know, of the that we as, as music fans kind of uh, very much the phrase that I latched onto that you were saying was almost like the snapshot. And I'm almost like, but I think that's the interesting thing is because music is basically for the artist, a snapshot of your lives when you created that record and maybe a year or two before the music actually comes out that influenced the ideas and the concepts that ended up being on these records. So it's one of those where I feel like maybe that's why it always feels like we're kind of a historian to a degree because we're talking about independent snapshots across so many different perspectives and landscapes of people's backgrounds and so forth. And and I, I think that's an, a really interesting concept and idea that I've never heard articulated that way. But as you're saying, I was like, holy shit, you're totally right. Like, I mean, in a completely nonsensical way, like, I mean, I have vinyl sitting right off to the side of me, which is coming back because it's some people like myself, like the tactile, like I open it up, here's the, the artwork, the liner notes and all that kind of stuff. Cause CDs aren't really getting printed anymore. Cause it's just not cost efficient to do that. But then I think about my dad literally still had, it's funny you said a Zoom player. He still has the, uh, oh fuck, what were those things called? Um, the the mini disc. He still has a mini disc player. Oh, right. And I'm like, yeah. what, are, what are you going to do with that? It's not like you can find any of these anymore. Like, just let this thing go, dude. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so funny. And he probably still feels like it's pretty modern. Like, hey, man, I got this newfangled thing. Well, it's, know, it's, it's not. Like, hey, man. Yeah, yeah he's, he doesn't think it's new. Um, yeah. But it is funny that it's like, I think the other part of that that I thought was more funny is that I feel like indirectly we are hoarders of things oh because my studio it's just like it's just like like i look at my you know at our house we have this like detached play part of the house you know that's kind of my become my i guess what you call a man cave you know once you have like a family it's made, which is essentially just my excuse to have all of my rock and roll jive in a place where like kids can't get into it right just guitars and records and pop culture stuff and just you know it's it's just a weird obsession man it's like i keep waiting for to grow out of it but i don't think it's gonna happen (laughs) too many i have more years but you know knock on wood i probably have as many years in front of me as i have behind me as if, if all goes as planned and I just, I've been obsessed with rock and roll and I mean, all kinds of music. I love all styles of music, but I've just been obsessed with the culture of music um, from probably when I was like six years old. And then, you know, probably what led me to even get in a band was just because I was such a big fan of music. And I'm sure this is a cliche at this point. I'm sure lots of people have this story where you you like something so much, you want to like, you don't just want to like hold it in your hand. You want to climb inside of it. Mm. And like, see how it works on the inside out. And then you get, you know, you, you learn, you want to learn how to do it yourself. And, and you, you know, a front row seat is not close enough. You want to be on the stage, you know? And, um, but, but I've somehow never, like, I, I mean, I've played music with so many different people. A lot of people I play music with aren't necessarily big fans of music. They just love making up songs and they love playing music, but you know, they don't like go see other bands play or collect records. And I, I never stopped being a fan. And I, and I don't know if that's something that like sugar cult fans could connect with probably subconsciously. I think sugar cult fans can, um, 
could tell that like even though i was up on stage playing guitar i was one of them uh, yeah i was in the audience fucking rocking out and doing stage dives like they were but i was just the, on stage with a guitar strapped on me you know it was like it, so i feel like we connected on that energy like, i probably related to the fans and the audience more than i even related to like our drummer <laughs> you know what i mean it was like Cause I'm like, dude, I was that fucking kid that would like have my mom drop me off at a show. If the show started at 8 PM, I'd get there at like 3 PM and just be the lurking fucking 13 year old at sound check, just waiting outside to try to get in. Or like, if I was lucky, I'd get in and like watch a sound check. And that to me was just as interesting as watching the actual show because it was like, Hey, there's the guy from the band, but he's just like, chilling out in like a t-shirt now and he's not wearing his whole get up and like <laughs> they're like making jokes on stage like what are they even talking about what does that mean and, and then you're just keying in on all the details of like what kind of pedal are they using how do they wrap their cable around their guitar strap what kind of guitar is that why is that guy using that why is that why is that why are the cymbals set up flat on the drum kit instead of like this just noticing all the details and and just geeking out on them and then you just pouring that all in your head. And then later on, one day you start a band and then you apply that stuff, I suppose, subconsciously. But yeah. Well, it's funny because even like when I get to go, a lot of times I'll do like the in-person interviews during the sound checks or whatever for some of the other bands and so forth. So a lot of times, like I'll get to hear a band working on something and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're pulling that out tonight. Like, haven't heard that song in 10 years or whatever and then they don't play it. And I'm like, and I'll like maybe if I know the person that like was interviewing or whatever. I might text them or whatever and be like, I, I don't know you guys are going to, I thought they were going to play that song. Ah, nah, I mean, no, yeah, they weren't, no, they, were, they weren't feeling it. <laughs> a lot of times at, at soundcheck, um, we would, that's where we would use like soundcheck was an opportunity to kind of try out some new ideas. Like if we were writing a new song or had some new, like, you know, idea for a song, or if we wanted to just sort of, yeah, play some song just for fun, like play some old song to see if we still remembered how it went. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we'd get inspired and be like, oh, shit, we should play that tonight, <laughs> you know. But well, I think one of the crazier ones I saw was actually the band in Berlin uh, were playing uh, in Lansing and they sound checked and did refused new noise. And I was like, what the fuck? Because oh like God. didn't expect that from them. And Christian actually and the rest of the band sounded really good doing it. And I was like, if they do that tonight, people are going to lose their shit. And they oh, did not, man. of course. God, but it was. I love, I love that band, Refuse, so much. Yeah. I just showed this the other day. I was doing an interview with somebody, and they wanted me to like show some like old memorabilia. And I have the, the the crappy guitar that I used in the Stuck in America video. Mm -hmm. You know, it looks cooler than it actually is. It's actually <laughs> kind of a piece of junk, you know. But um, but on the back of it, no one ever really saw the back unless you were, you know, <laughs> saw me play live the few few times. But the the um, the nerdy story about this, we loved refused, as mm. you can tell by if you watch our video from memory, we're basically ripping off new noise. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> I showed that to the bit to the director. I was like, I want us to kind of go for that vibe. You know, we're not gonna have Tim hanging upside down screaming, but you know, aesthetically, we always really connected to um, to like uh, their singer Dennis. You know, we toured together on the 2004 Warp Tour. Mm -hmm. And I think our bands kind of had like a, we had sort of a weird little like artistic crush on each other where we didn't, we, I would see international noise conspiracy, Dennis from Refused, the other band, 
yep. watching us. And then he would see me always watching them. And then like, but I was, I figured for some reason, you know, you construct these narratives in your head. I'm like, Oh God, these guys are from Sweden and they come from hardcore. They probably hate our stupid, you know, power pop band. And, and, you know, they were probably thinking the same thing. They were probably like, Oh God, these guys are on the radio. They probably hate our, like, you know, communist hardcore ideas. <laughs> and, and then one day, just like what happens is one day I just like was like, well, fuck it. Hey man, what's going on? I'm Marco. Sugar cult. He's like, Oh, I'm Dennis. Well, he has an accent, obviously. And we realized we had like so much in common. Like we grew up going through the same motions with music. We both like had this like unhealthy obsession with like obscure seventies power pop. And I mean, he literally had this like piece of paper folded in his back pocket that he like unfolded and would show me. It was like a list of like, you know, rare records he was looking for. So he would bring it with him everywhere. So while they were on tour, he'd go find record stores and like try to complete his little mission of finding these records. Cause I imagine for him, when you're from Europe and you're touring in America, it's like a fucking just like, you know, it's like a giant, thrift store <laughs> this is like finding cool shit to bring home you know but anyways and, and you know, i suppose we do the same thing when we go over to europe it's just like you know I, I was always the guy who would like you know maybe go to if we're in scotland i'm going to go to a whiskey store and sit there punishing the guy that works there for like an hour and have him teach me all about the cool little like distilleries and which ones they don't export and you know you're kind of buying that or if you're in Maybe if you're in Italy, you're going to find some great like olive oil or if you're in I would always bring back like products like either, you know, food or alcohol or <laughs> spices. Local culture, literally. Um, I called them functional souvenirs. You know? <laughs> I'd also bring back a bunch of useless crap, too. You know, like, you know, I remember I went to, I was in Russia and I went to a flea market. Um, did we lose? Are you nope. still there? I can still hear you. You're just like froze on my you. side. You froze. Actually, well, on my side, you froze. If you can still hear me. Oh, there we go. Um, let's see, John. Did you freeze? Did we lose each other? I lost you. You froze, but I could hear you the whole time. Uh, still still there? Check my internet. Internet's fine. This is fun. Is that hmm. me or is that you? On my end, it looks like you. We'll figure this out in a second. This is fun. Technical difficulties, just as we're uh, getting into some fun convos. Uh, I will take a sip of my cider. <clears throat> All right. So we'll wait for uh, for Marco to come back. So if you're watching the video, I uh, probably won't cut this out because it'll be funny. Um <clears throat> Uh. 
actually, I know I can do that because I've done it with the podcast. Hey, man. Sorry about that. No worries. I was just saying, like, I could hear you the whole time. You ended up freezing, but I could hear you the whole time. Oh, so that's I don't, so weird. So I have well, no idea. Oh, man. Well, anyway, I, I didn't know if it was on my end or your end, but just to be safe, I just restarted. So anyways, oh. sorry yeah. about that. So we, no, were just, uh, we were just geeking out about, um, we were talking about how, you know, and international noise conspiracy sort of had a crush on each other on the Warp Tour and um, such a great band. It's a trip. They just, uh, they just celebrated the 20 year anniversary of one of their records. We just we're this year we're celebrating the 20 year anniversary of our first record start static. Um, it's just a trip, man. It's like 20 years goes by pretty fast. Um, to your point earlier, how music is this moment in time that gets documented that maybe represents the year or two prior to leading up to a record. The, I would, I would almost liken it in a way it, it's kind of like I think I'm inspired because of your the, the decoration of your podcast here with all the wine bottles and whiskey. Um, it's similar to to maybe whiskey or wine in that it does have, even though it is something that is grown fresh and recorded. You know, in in the case of spirits, it would be bottled. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I feel like certain music, certain music is is like you know, boom, it's got the born on date. You better have it fresh, you know, like, <laughs> but certain music I feel really does for need to ferment culturally. Mm-hmm. It needs to ferment. It needs to gain in depth and complexity over time. It needs time. It needs um, lightness or darkness. It's not, you know, something to kind of happen to it chemically 
after you've written the songs and doc and recorded them and, and released them, you know? And so I feel like certain records, and I guess similar to, since I'm running on this analogy, certain bottles of wine might have that too, where there's that certain like, okay, you can drink it after it's done and probably enjoy it, or you can stick it under your bed for 10 years and then pull it out. And it becomes this interesting kind of, well, that's why they call it spirits. It kind of awakens this like moment that is already passed, but you get to access it. And in that case, maybe drink it and experience it, but yet it's somehow gained in complexity. Well, what could also happen I don't know how the chemistry of all this stuff works, but what can also happen is you can open it up. The risk you take is you're going to open it up in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and it might taste like vinegar. Right. Okay. Vinegar, the word that the, the etymology of the word vinegar is literally like, you know, sour, like bad wine, <laughs> like basically spoiled wine. <laughs> you know, I think gar G A R means like something bad. And then vina is vino. Or, yeah. Yeah. So that's what that's the origin of vinegar. It's like someone was like, "Well, fuck, this is this wine's no good, but we can use it for something else." And um, but that's a similar thing with certain records. I feel like, and I hope. I mean, I'm not going to be. Uh, I don't want to be arrogant and say this about our own record, but I feel personally. I well, I hope people will have that experience with Start Static, like the experience of like, oh man. I put this away 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or maybe they haven't listened to it in a while. And, they, and then they're going to open it up and go, maybe have it on vinyl and put it on and be like, kind of nervous. Like, oh shit, is this going to taste like vinegar? Is this going to sound like vinegar? And I feel like me personally, I, I had to listen to it a bunch of times because we've been doing all this stuff, planning the 20 year anniversary. And I was like, kind of holding my breath, like, oh shit, is it going to be good? And I was like, holy shit, this record's better than I remember it. Like, I feel like it aged really well. I agree. Actually, hold on just a second. For the sake of... Hey, look at you. So, I don't know. I'm trying to remember, actually, but, like, I have a numbered one. Oh, yeah. That was from, like, 2013. We put out, like, a limited vinyl run. The so, new one, though, the, the, the new 20-year anniversary edition is a totally different animal because the 20-year edition, I don't have a copy of it myself yet. It's, um, it's got, uh, well, first of all, the cover is going to have, the, the artwork on the cover is going to be, like, raised. It's going to be kind of hmm. embossed. And I think it, I think it's Oh, like be, the, the, plug, the guitar plug will be yeah, kind of... The guitar okay. plug is going to kind of be raised. Um, and I think it's also going to be glossy on matte. And then oh. it's going to if you if you ever saw like the CD and you opened it up it all the wow. way there's like the frayed end of the guitar cable yeah um, and actually if, if you have the European CD that came out on Epitaph <laughs> Records we, we flipped it and had the frayed end on the cover right so that yeah. so we wanted to differentiate it from the American release anyway so that 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 cable ends with a frayed end so if you get the new vinyl you flip it around and it's got that frayed end on the back rather than the picture of us. And then oh, you open okay. up, it's gatefold. You open it up, there's a whole different picture of us. And then you take the slip out, and there's that picture from the back of the album. And then on the back, there's a collage of all this other cool stuff, similar to the lyrics that we have on our CD. But we just, we always switch out the pictures a little bit. So you're always getting every version of Star Static you get, whether you get the American CD, the European CD, the Japanese CD, or the American original vinyl pressing or the American vinyl pressing that we just did for the 20 year anniversary, <laughs> you're always going to get a slight different variation, 
which again goes back to the fact that I'm just a collector <laughs> music nerd fan. And I love those types of details where you're like, Oh shit, I got to get, you know, I got to get every edition, you know, like I got Like I'm looking at my jawbreaker dear you on vinyl, with the <laughs> blue marble that they only did as a promotional thing. And then I have it on cassette and then I have two different versions of it on CD. And it's just like, it's, you know, it's just fun, you know, it's yeah. just fun to have that stuff. And, um, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, like the thing that's kind of interesting to me and you sort of hit on it, you know, talking about, you know, does the, the record hold up? So like, I mean, I, my wife and I still collectively listen to sugar cold as a whole, not just the one record, like the three records you've put out. And I tend to actually feel like, I feel like you are actually a, a little bit ahead maybe of what you were doing. Like, and even listening to start static more just kind of as a whole and kind of thinking about it and, you know, where I was, um, cause I really didn't, I knew the songs off of this record. Cause I mean, it was, it's hard not to hear bouncing off the walls or the way, or, you know, stuck in America. Like those were everywhere, especially like with much music making its way here into the States or w- whatever it ended up being called becoming, but right. it's like, fused. I yeah. fuse. That's it. And it, it's one of those where it's like, it was hard not to know who you guys were, but it really wasn't until memory that I was like, Oh, this band is something a little bit more, hate to say like not pop punk because that's kind of it felt like that's the genre that everyone kind of put you in was this sort of all not alternative alternative but like a a pop punky kind of band like you know with like a you know i could see you playing and you did obviously with like green day and stuff like that but like or a lot of those like early epitaph or you know drive through records and so forth and like that and the warp tour bands but as i kind of was listening to more of the stuff i was like i feel like you really have more tendencies of like 90s alt to me Mm-hmm. especially listening less especially listening into the record as a whole and the whole discography it i mean I look at a song like the way like you know i'm kind of sitting there going like uh like the the notes you're using in the intro like the and i i still can't figure out if it's a flanger if it's like a, a pitch a pitch <laughs> okay, pedal or what you, what is it i can um, tell you exactly i wonder if i even have that pedal lying around it's it's like it's the craziest thing because it sounds it's it's so funny with sugar cult it's like it sounds like we know like we like we know what we're doing but we're really just like these like hacks that are in a room going like hey does that sound good or is that lame is that you know like half the time we're just experimenting and basically that is like you just do the false harmonics you know you go like yeah so it's just really easy the false harmonic on the g string on the fifth fret and then on the b string on the seventh fret and then the G string on the seventh fret. So you go. And then. Gotcha. So it's super easy. But what you do is you take an MXR, the orange MXR phase 90 pedal. Okay. And you turn it up, like just completely like, you know, just primal. You don't even think about like fine tuning it. You just literally take it and then turn it up all the way as far as it goes. And you stomp on that and then you play that and then it ends up sounding all crazy. And that's the beginning of Pretty Girl. Well, it's it's funny because like around sort of around that time you're starting to see because this came out in like 2001. So Korn obviously is around. They're kind of playing around with a lot of flanges, pitch, uh, pitch shifters, you know, whammy pedals doing like crazy dives, octave pedals and so forth. And to, to hear something like that in this style of music wasn't really happening. And well, like not not traditionally, like I you weren't seeing many bands coming out at the time of this record coming out really doing it that weren't in like the new metal scene really. Huh. Interesting. Maybe uh yeah, maybe Sugar Cult has uh has unforeseen new metal uh <laughs> tendencies. Um but honestly it's interesting, John, that you point that out. 
Because I do think, uh, like I said before, this this wine, this tiresome wine analogy that I'm using, I feel Squeeze like squeezing every grape, every every grape ring you can get out of it. Day, people <laughs> cracked it open and they were just looking for the teenage like you know the teenage fucking buzz where you're just like, dude, crack this. I'm I'm not drinking this wine to appreciate the nuance. I'm drinking this wine so I can get out of my head and I can get drunk. And then as you get older. It starts to be like, hey, I enjoy the feeling of, of having a glass of wine, but I really do enjoy the taste. Whereas when you're a kid, you're like, this is fucking gross, but it's worth it because <laughs> I want to fucking hang out with my friends and, you know, do something edgy. You know, but as you get older, you start to be appreciate like things like, you know, um, the nuances of like craft beer or good whiskey or, you know, or good wine. And it becomes kind of not like. Like I remember being young and you're like, dude, you can get a fucking 12 pack of natural light for $2. It's like, I would rather have (laughs) one beer for $10. That's great. than have like all you can drink for free, you know, of like some crap beer at this stage in my life. And I know to a younger person, that's like, they're like, what, what on earth are you fucking talking about? That's insane. Why would anybody want to do that? You know? And you know, I think that's what happens with it just becomes about quality over quantity. And with with our music, maybe what you're getting at is that and I suspected this all along, that people kind of assumed that we were a pop punk band because there happened to be this giant wave of pop punk that was happening with like at the same time starts that it came out, you had like. Good Charlotte coming of age. You had some 41 emerging. You had newfound glory really hitting it. You had Blink-182 having like a sort of resurgent kind of culture. Like they were sort of supplanting Green Day as like the cultural leaders of, of like commercial pop, punk music. And like, you know, you had this feeling in the air in the early 2000s of just newness where people mm. just wanted things to be new. Even though Blink had been around since the early 90s, it just felt new again. Like their new approach was kind of, they were as big as they could get. Like you were saying things like fuse and MTV were playing this kind of scene. There was the, the, we were on the warp tour in 2001. So we kind of got like, we kind of somehow just climbed aboard this, this like movement that was happening. And for some reason they were willing to accept us because of our songs, like stuck in America and bouncing off the walls that sort of could, could kind of pass as pop punk, you know, and, and I think that a lot of people um, at the time just kind of blurred their eyes and went, yeah, 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 pop punk. It's all good. Woo. Right on. Sugar cult, you know, but I think as time world, you know, marches on and in retrospect, one of the things we can geek out on now that it's been 20 years since that record came out is like you're saying where you're like, well, wait a minute, how does that explain pretty girl the way, how does that explain? um, I changed my name. How does that explain hate every beautiful day? How do we, where do we, put, defect, yeah. we come crashing down? Like there are more songs on that record that would never be considered pop punk. If you just heard them on their own, if you hear them in context of the record, you know, it makes sense. But like, I think that's the weirdest thing. And I don't really care about any of this kind of stuff. Cause people call sugar, call pop punk. They call us emo. They invite us to the emo party. They invite us to the pop punk party. And we've had lots of wonderful experiences touring with a lot of those bands but I feel like the one thing that if you if you go back and listen to Palm Trees and Power Lines, Lights Out, Start Static, all of our records, you're going to realize that we were never 
we were never the band that people thought we were. You no. Know? We were something more. And I'm not saying we were better than people thought we were, but I feel like we were un- maybe maybe a little bit um, prematurely categorized. And it didn't hurt us because we were able to benefit from it. But I, I always identify, the only band in the scene that I really identified with um, maybe was Jimmy World. And actually, I love Head Automatica, the shirt that you're wearing right there. I used to have that shirt. Um, <laughs> Daryl and I would talk a lot about like how we both loved like early Elvis Costello records. And, you know, it was just that uh, there was never, I guess, t- to just like make this more concise. When we started Sugar Cult back in 1999, we never sat down and had a conversation and said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to form a pop punk band. No one in our band owned a Blink-182 record. No one in our band had ever listened to Good Charlotte or even knew Newfound Glory existed. At the time we formed our band, the things that Tim, our singer, grew up on, he he was like a super fan of Green Day, which I would consider pop punk. In my my generation's definition of pop punk is different than people younger than me. My generation, yeah. what we used to call pop punk was Green Day, Mr. T Experience, Screeching Weasel, um, you know, even maybe the Descendants, you know, it was like anything that was derived from the Descendants or the Ramones that was a little more melodic and happy. Yeah. We considered pop punk, you know, um, and or maybe even derived from the replacements. Um, and so it was a weird thing when people, when pop punk became this kind of catchphrase, it's almost like R&B. If you say R&B to somebody today, they're going to think you mean Drake. Drake. And to somebody else, they're going to be like, R&B, you mean Otis Redding? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, or TLC. It's like, depending on what generation you say it, um, you know, I could uh, talk to someone older than me and they're going to be like, oh, pop punk. Yeah. You mean the angry Samoans? You know what I mean? And I'm gonna, or, or they're going to say, oh, you mean the dead milkmen? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. So yeah. every generation has their own version. If you say it today, someone's going to think you mean MGK, you know? And like, so that's the beauty of, of rock and roll. It constantly belong. It belongs to whoever's currently 15 years old and everyone else is free to hang out and sing along. But we have to also make space for uh, new generations to create their own version of, you know, of rock and roll and not have that. The one thing we, you and I, those of us who've been around for a minute, have to, we have to keep ourselves in check because you want to make sure you never become that person with like, that smug person with your arms <laughs> crossed, you know, saying like, oh, kids today don't know what fucking real punk rock is because you don't know what real punk rock is either. And neither do I because, you know, um, t- you know, it's all relative, right? Like even people who say, oh, fucking people who make music on Ableton, <laughs> they're not real musicians. You know, EDM's not real music. Hip hop's not real music. Well, they used to say the same shit about anyone who played an electric guitar back in the 1940s and 50s. You know, electric guitar was like, that's not a real guitar. You plug that thing in and it fucking has pickups on it. <laughs> you know, like, so every generation is going to say that shit about somebody. So you got to just be cool and just embrace it. Um, and I look at it like it's all good. Like, I've always been obsessed with digging through record stores and finding old music that I, you know, that, that came out before my time digging the stuff that's out currently in my generation and then being hungry to see what's around the corner and what's next. And it doesn't have to be this, like, you know, doesn't have to, you don't have to check one box. You can check it all out. And 
you know. Well, I think like so kind of to that point, a few things, you know, so like one time when I was uh, I had Dennis Young, formerly of Sticks on here, and he was kind of at one point going on this this tangent about, you know, the, the goddamn kids these days kind of thing. Like, you know, your generation doesn't appreciate music so, or doesn't appreciate, you know, tactile music and it's it's disposable and da, 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 da. And I go, well, no, if anything, it's it's actually going back to what it was when you were a kid and you were all buying music when you were buying, you know, the Sun Records, you know, with the Elvises, Jerry Lee Lewis's oh, yeah. and, and all that. Singles. And yeah. it all, the music industry was just here's a single and then a B-side and then that band's going to go tour on that for a year and a half. The next single goes and it just ad nauseum at like rinse, wash, repeat. And I go, the music industry has gone back to what it was when you started when it became an industry that you could literally buy physical product for because there were at home CD players and so forth. I go, so don't necessarily blame my generation. Like I have thousands of dollars worth of, you know, CDs. I have, you know, skateboards and stuff of music and posters and all this stuff. Like I'm not the person that's like, Oh fuck the music industry and fuck, you know, buying tactile things. Like I still appreciate all that. It's that the industry realized like people seemingly because we have everything at our phones right here. No one's going to go buy that. Like someone goes, if someone's listening to something, Shazam it. What is that? Okay, cool. Now I can put that on my Spotify playlist right, or whatever. It's convenient. It's convenient. Yeah. And it's wonderful. And again, like I said, it's not this binary thing where it's like either you're listening to it on your phone or you're like putting it on your gramophone, your vintage like <laughs> gramophone from the early, from the, you know, a hundred years ago. It's like, no, what, if you look at a graph right now, as as people as streaming becomes bigger and bigger and more and more people are getting crazy about music and making playlists, what's happening is vinyl is also <laughs> it's following the same trajectory. Sales yeah. of vinyl are going up and up and up. I mean, we already we put out our 20 year anniversary vinyl. The clear vinyl editions already sold out like the first day. We're like, oh yeah. shit, we should have made more, you know. But like, now do you have your cassettes? Do you have cassettes coming? Something? Why are people buying something that they already, A, they already have had for 20 years on CD, B, they have on Spotify or Apple Music ostensibly, and C, now you have to take it out of a sleeve, put it (laughs) delicate, you know, it's this delicate thing that can be scratched and you have to put it on this thing and like carefully do the thing and listen to it for a little while and then turn around and go get up again and flip it over. Like you're paying for the inconvenience, but- I don't think that's what it is. I think people, I just think it's human nature. We, we come from hunter gatherer roots. We want to f- go out and find the stuff that matters to us. And if anything, it puts the impetus on guys like the dude from sticks that you're talking about to make dope shit because it's like the, the days are gone where you, you can't, you can't pass off like filler on people just because that the only way they're going to get that song is if they buy the whole CD. Now they just, it used to bum me out when you buy a CD and there was like two good songs on it. It's like now this is where, you know, the bands that, that really made the records that have like, you know, beginning, middle and end and really took the time and care to make a great record and not just like look at a record, like a, you know, basically a fucking, you know, insulation container, insulated container for two or three good songs. Right. Well, and, 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 you know, not to, not to sound, um, you know, not to sound like unseemly, but like, I do feel like we are, we are being kind of like culturally compensated now, all these years later 
for the fact that we made our three records. Yeah, we only made sure we made three, three full length records, but we're being culturally sort of appreciated because people are kind of going, you know, I appreciate that your records can be listened to from beginning to end. And they're not just like these, that you know, it's not just like two songs that we like and then 10 songs that are sort of like shittier versions of the two songs we like, <laughs> which, you know, I, I we took a lot of care and when we made each one of our records to, to, I think it's because we grew up listening to full length records. You know, we grew up as huge fans of, of records like Nirvana, Nevermind and, um, you know, uh, the, one of the bands we always talk about is this band that was we loved when we at the time we started Sugar called called Super Drag. Loved this band Super Drag. Um, even that record, Jimmy World Bleed American, is a great record. You know, uh, um, obviously, uh, you know, so many of those records in the 90s, they're just so fucking good. You know, um, Weezer's Blue Record, Oasis, you know, definitely yeah. maybe Smashing Pumpkin, Siamese Dream. It's like. Yeah, we Sugar Cult is the product of '90s music with also diving into used record stores and finding awesome, cool vibes. You know, kids listening to '90s music, but then going, okay, now we're listening to we're listening to Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and Weezer, but they're talking about cool shit that they liked from the late seventies and early eighties, we're going to go back and discover that stuff. And we stole so many ideas from, I mean, just look at us. We stole so many ideas from the clash and the cars and Blondie and, um, you know, like I said, Elvis Costello and cheap trick. And, you know, cause to us, it was like, this is just fucking like, it's like finding cool shit in a thrift store where you're like, Oh my God, I can just wear the same shit as all my friends and, and shop it. Like, walmart or target or like hot topic or i can go to a thrift store and i'm going to find really cool shit that maybe was mass produced at one point but time has forgotten about and i can learn about that repurpose it and then present it to a new generation and it's going to be new and exciting all over again so that was kind of our thing we're like let's not we, we were never the kind of band that just wanted to keep up with the joneses and be like hey everyone's doing ska punk now okay everyone's doing pop punk now everyone's doing emo now everyone's doing screamo now everyone's doing dance punk now everyone's doing electro clash now everyone's doing indie rock now everyone's doing folk indie rock now fuck that it's like all that stuff's cool but we would never want to be the band that like jumps on the bandwagon we kind of all we, with sugar cold it was, it was almost like it was as simple as this how do we form our own favorite band what is it that we wish it's like be the change you want to see what is it we wish like nirvana was cool but i wish they were sexier Green Day was cool, but I wish they had more. Um, but I, it would be cool if they were more like this. Super Drag's cool, but I wish they were less like this. This band's cool, but I wish they were more like that. And we were just like sort of take the, the you know, the, the ingredients we liked from the, from the bands we appreciated. And then we're like, let's, let's, let's put together our own, let's be our own favorite band. <laughs> let's right. Dark Static is, is literally the record we wished existed and then we went to work making that record and now i look back at it 20 years later and it's cool because you have objectivity at the time you don't really know you hope you're like fuck people are buying this record that's cool they're playing it on the radio that's awesome i guess it's 
I guess people dig it, but it's not until 20 years goes by that you can have objectivity and look back on it and go, oh, fuck, that record's cool. I, I, doesn't even matter. I don't even think that's me playing on it. I just listen to it like it's just a record I bought by any other band, you know? Kind of speaking to a few things of that, and my, my timeline might be a little bit incorrect. Um, this, this record, Start Static, came out in March of 2021. Or I'm sorry, not 2021. Jesus Christ, of, of 2001. Yeah, August 2021. Um, it's easy to remember because it was three weeks to the day of 9/11. Okay, so that actually was that's my point actually. So with a song like "Stuck in America," and you know, I just actually I think it was Loudwire or someone like that posted this uh, list of all the songs that were banned from radio yeah. uh, after 9/11, and some of the songs are just like. What, what is i mean okay like you know i think it was like couldn't play anything by like jefferson airplane because it had airplane in the name or things like that and you're just like what why why did the, why does that matter yeah you know rough. it was just different times but i'm wondering did you guys catch any shit for stuck in america especially you know the the line of everyone's talking about blowing up the neighborhood oh 100%, like dude that's okay that song got axed right away it was one of the first ones you know i mean like it wasn't as bad as like drowning pool when the bodies hit the floor well, but, I remember like Bleed American had to change its name Bleed to just American the self-title. Yeah, Jimmy World Bleed American had to go self-titled. And immediately, I mean, we were like, you know, we were enjoying this. You have to put it in context. We were like kind of a new band from Santa Barbara, California. And we got two years into being a band. We got a record deal, got to go in the studio in April of 2001 um, and make this record. And then June of 2001, we got on the Warp Tour. So we had this record. We just finished making Start Static, and now we're on the Warp Tour. While they're, like, pressing up Start Static and getting ready to, like, release it, we knew it was coming out at the end of the summer. We got, like, the Holy Grail tour opportunity because it was like, guess what, guys? We're, you know, June 20th, you're going, you're starting the Warp Tour. August 21st, the record comes out. So we go on the Warp Tour 2001, and then they uh, somewhere along the way they released the song "Stuck in America" to the radio, and it started getting played everywhere. We're like, "Holy shit, this is so awesome!" Then the record came out. People had seen us on the Warp Tour. People had heard our song on the radio. People start buying the record. Everything was just going great, 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 great. And then 9/11 happened, and they took our song off the radio, and all of our tour dates got canceled. It was crazy. But you know, obviously, those are those are champagne problems compared to what. 9-11, right. you know, the repercussions of 9-11 were a lot more uh, profound than the, than, you know, woe is me. I don't get to be a rock and roll star for five minutes, but like, you know, it was gnarly for us because, you know, it was our first time. It was like, everything was new. First record, first song on the radio, first time touring for first. It was just like all, everything was brand new. And then that happened and it was like, oh shit. And to me, that really was like this. I mean, it's it's weird, dude. It's like our record came out in 2001. 2001, not only was there 9-11, of course, but there was also, on a lighter note, there was the introduction of the iPod. There was, you know, um, Wilco, <laughs> Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, where they got dropped from their label and then they took the record and put it out themselves for free on the internet. And then... It, by the end of the year, it became um, album of the year on a lot of critics' critics lists. It was like one of the first records where people were like, the the band takes it, puts it out themselves. Radiohead did their whole thing with like, pay what you want. Mm -hmm. The White Stripes got a hit on the radio that year. 
the White Stripes had been this underground band. I had seen them before. This underground little garage punk band from Detroit. You never thought in a million years that a garage punk band would ever get, like the biggest you could get if you played garage punk was like John Spencer Blues Explosion. Like you were never going to become mainstream stars. The fucking Strokes record came out, like I think the same month as Start Static. And we love the Strokes. Like we had got that we had we had their Rough Trade seven inch from before, you know, two maybe a year or two earlier. And we like you know we, I mean to, to be honest with you, we identified more with the Strokes aesthetically than we did with Newfound Glory. You know, just look at a picture of Sugar Cult. We we don't look like a pop punk band. You no. know what I mean? <laughs> and and not that there's anything wrong with pop punk, but like it was it was an epiphany to us. When the war, when we started playing the Warp Tour and all those bands started asking us to go on tour with them and all their fans started buying our hoodies, we we're like, holy shit, this is crazy. These kids actually like our band. This is fucking rad. And so we just kind of went with it and we had a great time. But like, like I said, we were never like a pop punk or emo band by design. We didn't like we weren't like four guys who answered an ad in the paper that said influences Blink-182 and taking back Sunday. Like that was the last thing on our mind. We ended up becoming friends with all those bands and they were all fucking awesome people, but it was an interesting thing. 90% of those bands didn't realize what they were doing either. There's a few of them like where they were like, literally like, okay, we are going to start this type of a band. But I, I think some 41 was basically like, we love no effects. We love the beastie boys. And then you get some 41, you know, the used were literally, we, we toured with them. They were like, we literally love refused so much that we start, we named our band the used because we had a sticker like this and we just chopped off the REF and <laughs> used the used part. I mean, like most bands start out very, you know, heavily influenced by whoever they, they happen to like at the time. Um, and then they, then, you know, they end up running off in their own direction. Like you said, pretty girl the way earlier, Listen to that song. It's essentially Nirvana mixed with Watching the Detectives by Elvis Costello. So you take a used Elvis Costello record, take it, apply it to your Nirvana Nevermind CD, put it in a blender, and you're going to end up with our song Pretty Girl. Stuck <laughs> in America, me and, uh, let's see, Tim and I had this crush on this band from Australia called The Living End. We love mm. The Living End. And just aesthetically, we identify with them. We're like, ah, we seem to both like, you know cool things about the clash but also want to sound modern and we i think bouncing off the walls and stuck in america were both probably written at the time we had a crush on the living end where we were like listening to their songs um you know uh let's see i mean you just listen to our music it's just a reflection of the shit we thought was cool um and um but yeah dude it's a trip start static like i find that people are like coming up to me now and they're going, dude, it's weird. When I was a kid, I was all about bouncing off the walls and, and like <laughs> daddy's little defect. But as I've grown up now, I like to listen to lost in you and like, you know, uh, we come crashing down and maybe, you know, some of those songs like saying goodbye. It's, it's, it's weird how this, the album sort of like grows with you. Like I said, it's like wine, like you're drinking it when you're a kid just to get the high. And then as you grow up, you start to like appreciate, swirl it around your mouth and appreciate the nuances that maybe were completely lost on you because you weren't emotionally mature enough at the time. So that's why the fun thing about, I mean, it's one of the fun things about rock and roll. It really is like, um, it's like this experience that you can enjoy raw in its moment 
but you can also tuck it away for, for, you know, 10 years and then pull it up again. And suddenly it becomes like a time machine. It's going to bring yeah. you back, and like release all these spirits that like, Oh man, I remember who I was hanging out with that summer. I remember where we were living. I remember those, those days. And I mean, the music was just, it just evokes those cool emotions and it's, it's so fun. I mean, it's, it's such a, like, I can't tell you enough, dude, how, what a, a incredible rewarding feeling it is to be able to know that our band, the music we made up somehow has had that effect on other people's lives. People that we'll never, that we maybe, you know, won't ever meet in person or see eye to eye or face to face. And to know that there's all these people out there somewhere on this giant rock floating through space who somehow have our record to hold on to. And that's like something that's going to be the portal to a bunch of rad memories in their life or be the backdrop, the background music to something, you know, profound in their life. Uh, Or just be playing in the background, like while they're like fucking cleaning their house or like, you know, getting their kids ready for school, whatever it might be. It's just, it's so cool. It's like, it's kind of like, I don't know. It kind of gives me the chills, like more than any of the money we ever made or like fucking autographs we signed or, you know, selfish things that we got out of it, being able to buy houses and be able to, you know, travel the world more than that is to feel that like somewhere out there right now at this moment, there's probably somewhere, someone somewhere in the world listening to music that we made up in this tiny little box, you know, (laughs) in Santa Barbara and with our friends, you know, it's, that's a fucking, you know, again, we didn't think about that stuff at the time. All we cared about was like, you know, trying to get some girls attention, you know, how many drink tickets we were getting, (laughs) and you know, um, trying to get some, trying to, get our band booked for some opportunities for shows or whatever. That was pretty much as far as we could think. We weren't thinking like, Oh, we're going to be creating records. that are going to stand the test of time and become the soundtrack to people's lives. Like that's fucking crazy. And it's like, but that's everything, man. That's like, that's what else can you do um, with your time on earth besides create something that's going to like resonate and like, I mean, not to sound morbid, but that our fucking songs are going to be around longer than any of us. And that's kind of cool. <laughs> it's like, it's like <laughs> I mean, fuck, we still listen to music from, we still listen to the Beatles. You know, we still listen to the Ramones are all fucking dead. We still listen to the Ramones, David Bowie. It's like David Bowie died. Prince died, but not really. No. As far as you and me are concerned, they're just as alive as they've ever been. Because I, I, I don't know about you, but I never knew Dave, Dave, or fucking Prince. You know, personally, all I ever <laughs> no. knew was their music. So, in that respect, they're they're still alive, as far as I know. You know, and that's the that's if that's not a case to like make records for other people, it, like out there who might want to start bands or be musicians, then I don't know what is. Because I I don't, I mean, that's a pretty cool fucking thing to do. You know. There was somebody, and I, I haven't told this story in a while, but you just reminded me with the more so the I don't know Prince personally thing. So I, I forget who I had on, but they were talking about someone on their tour in their tour uh, crew, I guess, toured with Prince. Oh, my gosh. And he goes, so one night, you know, we Hold needed on one second. We, I'm, I'm, I just got to stop you for one second. I'm supposed to meet with somebody at 1030 and I'm just going to tell him I'm going to be a couple minutes late. 
Okay. Um, All right, cool. By the way, how many test presses did you guys do of uh, of the 20th anniversary thing? Do you guys have that information? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how many test pressings. Well, if you guys have an extra one, I'll, I'll buy it off you. Oh, do you collect them? Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I usually try to like get like free vinyl, and so far I've gotten one record, and it was a test press uh, from oh, doing this show over the five years <laughs> of doing this. But um, no, I was going to say, so uh, my – friend like this dude was like so we're on tour this dude like tour with prince and he tells us a story about uh we stopped at a walmart and prince is like well i need toothpaste i'm gonna come out with you and we're like you sure and he's like yeah so it's like three o'clock i think they said they're like it's somewhere in the midwest i believe is where they said they were so they pull in and prince is waiting in line and with this other person he goes to buy this toothpaste or whatever and then he realizes like people start recognizing that it's prince but like he goes to pay for this toothpaste with a hundred dollar bill because you know it's Prince and he doesn't have really probably a concept of money right. or that like you don't need to yeah exactly and then he like someone started recognizing him or he's noticed that people were starting to come and then so he just left the hundred dollar bill and left so he basically paid like a hundred dollars for this toothpaste <laughs> oh, that's awesome but I was just like just the absurdity of being like there's Prince at like three o'clock in the morning at a Walmart in the middle of nowhere buying toothpaste like what the fuck <laughs> that's amazing I love that kind of thing so that's the only that's like the only proximity to Prince I have is someone's like third hand account of being on tour with him <laughs> That's rad, man. Yeah, well, you know, people like people like Prince really are something special. I mean, that's that's a whole other level. But but you know, I think what what you know, I mean, aside from the fact that he's obviously you know a fucking musical genius and and an incredible songwriter, um, I think one of the things about Prince that makes us talk about Prince in, <laughs> with a different tone is that he had that thing that. I personally, I mean, here's my kids today moment. I personally think one of the things missing in music is, is that thing that Prince and David Bowie maybe brought to the world is that mystique, you know, like rock and roll, like music culture, because I mean, it's a wonderful thing because it's become so um, accessible. Anyone can just get pro tools and learn how to use it or garage band or get good gear. Now um, you can jump on your you know phone and just like, you know, Google any kind of, cool clothes or shoes or gear or whatever and get it sent to you so you don't have to go on that weird like and in a weird way like i see like young people are like you're cool at school if you have like green hair now you're cool at school if you have you know if you're into like you know if you're a skateboarder or you know or if you know whereas you know when i was growing up that, that was the, that was like, you know, the outcast, <laughs> you know, the outcasts became punk rockers and skaters and musicians. Yeah. And, you know, you, you went there because girls ignored you. You went there because <laughs> the popular kids made fun of you, you know? And we, so we were sort of like, it was kind of this like loser kingdom <laughs> of like weirdos. <laughs> and we all kind of made up this, this thing, but like people like Prince were, were fucking oddballs. They were weirdos. You know, I can think of someone, maybe someone today, like maybe Jack White is, has that sort of thing that I'm talking about, that undefinable something that, that kind of mystique. But I feel like in a weird way, like somehow music culture has just become so acceptable and so cool that it's kind of lost a little bit of that, like mystery and mystique. 
And I will say that in Sugar Cult, we tried, you know, to some degree without being too pretentious, we did try to kind of hang on to a little bit of that. Like we, we celebrated a little bit of that, that sort of rock and roll romance of like, you know, like you never saw a picture of Sugar Cult wearing like baggy shorts and like a Hurley t-shirt. You know, we, we, we kind of had our own vibe. We created it. We constructed our own little universe and then we lived in it. We took that universe to the Warp Tour and we took it to MTV and we took it to the radio. We took it to on tour with Good Charlotte. We took it on tour with Green Day. We took it everywhere we went, but we we never stopped being it. It wasn't like, oh, cool, we're on the Warp Tour and they're accepting us. So let's just all put on, uh, you know, um, my, you know, Motion City soundtrack hoodies and and jump around on stage and just like enjoy the and, and then just like, you know, we, we kept our own thing. Right. That that's something that we did it mostly just because it was like it was just who we were and we were just kind of trying to stay true to our vision. But we also felt like there was a certain amount of um, there was something like artists like Prince where you're like, I, I don't want to fit in. I want to do our own thing. And I mean, I want people to like our band, but I'm not going to like be something I'm not just so people will like our band. I'm happy that people love our band. But we're not, you know, but I'm even happier that they love our band without our band having to pander to them or change who we are. And that's to me what makes the kinds of bands and that, that I end up staying a fan of are the ones where where they 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 lead, they don't follow, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Ted Automatica was not what Glassjaw fans wanted to hear. No. <laughs> And that's actually how I got into Glassjaw was getting into Head Automatica. Right. And I personally liked, liked Head Automatica better than Glassjaw, um, you know, but um, some people were like, oh, they might like Glassjaw better than Head Automatica. I like when when artists lead, you know, and, and you know, the classic example is to me is The Clash. Like they never got comfortable. They always kept pushing themselves. And those were sort of our spirit animals. They were sort of our forefathers where we thought like, OK, we made Start Static. We don't need to make Start Static again. So we're going to make Palm Trees and Power Lines now. And now that we made Palm Trees and Power Lines, we don't need to make that again. So we're going to make Lights Out now. And now that we made that record, we don't ever need to make a record again. <laughs> I'm just joking. But, you know, if you listen to our three records, they, they, they're they all Sugar Cult. They all have Sugar Cult as the common denominator. But, on top, but each one has its own personality, you know, its own character. They're, they're not just like, okay, that record works. So now let's just like copy paste it change some lyrics around and change the key and then make an, make another version of it each record has its own personality and you can listen to them in any order you can even put it put all our stuff in one playlist and put it on shuffle and it'll probably somehow make sense because of tim's voice or whatever but if you listen to like literally if you put if you lined up start static palm trees and power lines and lights out and listen to them all the way through in order it's not a mistake that it's going to feel like when you watch like all, you know, all Star Wars Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, like they are, they are, they're kind of a trilogy. One's called You're the One, starts out with a snare drum. And then the last song on Lights Out is called Hiatus. Okay. First record's Apt called enough. Static. <laughs> Middle record's called Palm Trees and Power Lines. Third record's called Lights Out. So there is, there is a story there that we were trying to tell without making it like a con it's not like conceptual, like a concept record or a theme record or like something like American idiot, 
but there is something each record has its own sort of vibe and tells a story and has this like you know they have like i said they're, they're very cinematic in that, that you know you wouldn't just put i changed my name randomly on a record it belongs where it is and there's even songs on start static that should have there's songs we had at the time of start static that should have made the record they were good enough songs to make the record but we were so adamant about making sure the record had a continuity and a flow that we didn't know where to put it. So again, it was like, fuck, we got to leave that song off the record because there's just no logical spot to put it where it's not going to disrupt the flow of the record. Case in point, the song called Say I'm Sorry. Mm. So that song's like one of our demos that got us our record deal. The irony is it's one of the ones that the label loved and signed us on. And then we didn't even put it on our record. Well, that song now is finally going to be available because it's gonna it's like the bonus track. It's one of the bonus tracks on the the 20 year anniversary edition of Start Static. So you'll finally be able to hear it on like Spotify and Apple Music. And if you're lucky, you get a copy of the vinyl. Um, you'll have Say I'm Sorry, which I'm sure you could find on YouTube anyway, because all our shit's just been like, you know. But we have uh <laughs> Say I'm Sorry, we have our cover of Elvis Costello's song, No Action, that's um that's a bonus track, and then we have a live version of Bouncing Off the Walls, um, and a live version of Stuck in America. So there's a bunch of bonus tracks. Um, and then we might put out a collection of our pre-start static demos that used to be called uh, Wrap Me Up in Plastic. Mm. We might put that out finally, not because we think the songs are great, but because Completed. enough time has gone by where it's, I feel like, again, like as a fan, it becomes culturally kind of interesting to see like, you know, the band's baby steps when we were just sort of trying to find our footing and figure out what we wanted to go for. So it might be kind of interesting to listen to some of those songs. They kind of make us cringe a little bit because, again, it's like looking at your embarrassing picture of you when you were 13 and you had that, like, you know, you, you went through that weird phase where you, you know, your teeth were all jacked up and your hair looked kind of crazy. Um, but I think that some of those songs, it's just, I mean, who's, again, our band doesn't just belong to us. It belongs to our fans too. And I feel like why deprive people of that music? And it also bums me out when I see that shit going on, like, you know, eBay for like fucking 400 bucks. <laughs> for a CD. I'm like, dude, no, we'll put it out. <laughs> Have it for free. You know. <laughs> anyway, man, I think I better jump because I got this other thing, but um, absolutely. Dude, I hope you got something you were looking for and thank you so much for your support. No, I mean, just the conversation is really like what I enjoy. Uh, I mean, sort of like you were saying, like of how, why we collect all the stuff and it being a snapshot. I started doing this because too many times I'd go hang out with friends and stuff and everyone's just like, and you're like, well, what the fuck, man? Like, it's like I was actually telling my wife the other day, I go, because I've been using Facebook and social media a lot less because I go, the problem is, is then I go to hang out with someone and they start telling me a story. I'm like, yeah, hey, I already saw that on Facebook. I know. I know. So it's like, like I haven't seen this person for four months, but I already know everything that's happened to them. So then it's like when you're trying to hang out and have that, that actual one-on-one -on -one connection again of going back to, you know, being hunter gatherers and, you know, telling stories around campfires and just learning and, and talking to people and that, that human connection, we've lost it. So that's kind of why I started doing this was just to, to, you know, talk to people that I grew up listening to or admiring or whatever. And then really in the last like six months to a year i stopped doing the thing where i would come up with a line of questions and, and try to keep it oh, so yeah. focused to the, the record or whatever and just be like fuck it i'm just gonna have a conversation with someone because that's more what the whole point of a podcast is it's just a, a oh, free dude, form conversation it. so i love that i love that it's it's interesting because one of the things i do now is um i actually teach uh 
um, a few college courses. I teach music business. And I used to be like super fucking freaked out, and like make us, you know, whole thing, like plan everything and then go in there. And then I realized I was like, I feel like I feel like we're losing that. You know, people can Google that shit. I want to go in there and just kind of like throw myself in the mo- moment and, you know, with a you know basic chord changes. But then just see what happens when you sort of improvise and just let it happen. Let the conversation unfold. Let other people chime in and just kind of direct the experience. And ends up being so much more valuable than if you just go in there and like fucking scroll through a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's, it's just so much, I, I feel like the randomness. And I mean, again, <laughs> that was a big <laughs> thing with sugar cult. There was, you couldn't get four more different people, me and Tim, we hit it off a lot, but like a lot of the shit I love, he fucking hated a lot of the shit he loved. I fucking hated somewhere in between became what we landed on as sugar call but we edited each other you know if, if i would have if it would have been like marco you drive we might have driven off a fucking cliff of just like you know sounding like the fucking you know some obscure fucking weird like the new york dolls or something like that if we would have let tim drive we might end up sounding like fucking you know i don't know Everclear or some shit like that <laughs> if we would have let aaron drive we would have fucking sounded like you know, the red hot chili peppers having a fucking orgy with the guys in Radiohead, you know, <laughs> and if we would have let our drummer Ben drive, we probably would end up sounding like Carrie Underwood. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, we, we were such fucking random people. So that was part of what made it interesting. In my opinion, my opinion is what makes sugar cult sound a little bit magic is mm-hmm. that it was this alchemy of weird of like people we all had we were all in service of song of good songwriting and being a good band but no one was a virtuoso and you know there was so much imagination involved in what we were doing because we didn't have this like blueprint it wasn't like okay here's what we do we get a mason boogie dual rectifier we wear hurley clothes we do unison rock jumps and we sing about um you know we sing about stuff that 14 year old boys talk about at sleepovers (laughs) That wasn't our fucking model, you know? And, and so we, so I feel like we stumbled, even though we're a very traditional rock and roll band with a guitar, bass, drums, harmony, vocals, we stumbled on something that, that we stumbled on having our own place at the table Yeah, with all those other bands, you know, and, and all those other bands are very unique too. You know, even the, there's huge nuances between bands that sound, that, that follow the same um, recipe. But like, I feel like, if you go back and listen to Sugar Cult as someone in their 30s, you're going to go, especially if you also listen to us back when you were in your, in your teens, you're going to go, oh, shit, I didn't realize it at the time. But now that I fucking give it a, a closer look, like you said, this was this was it was a premature sort of uh, assessment to just assume this was just another band jumping around at the warp tour like there's something about sugar <laughs> cult that i feel like was a little deeper and i'll say the same thing about motion city soundtrack jimmy world lots of these bands where you go back and listen to it you go oh shit motion city soundtrack got sort of thrown in it's like oh yeah another emo band from the thing and it's like no they weren't those guys were into like archers of loaf and Jawbox. And all this cool fucking, you know, underground music from the 90s. And they just happened to like manifest it. And at the time of the Warp Tour and Fuse and Ape Alternative Press. 
and they got sort of lumped in with this with like oh you know most most of out and track fallout boy it's like no 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 listen to that band they're very yeah. fucking unique that singer justin is a fucking weirdo like he's just awesome <laughs> you know anyway so much good shit i could talk about this shit forever and uh the coffee well, we'll just strong <laughs> shoot me a, um i know you're never on social media anymore but shoot me a dm on instagram or something so we can get in touch yeah and um and we'll do it yeah, we'd love to have All you right. back on for another part two at some point whenever you got time. Anytime, this is fun. dude. Anytime, man. All Enjoy right. the rest nice of your day. Take care. Thank you. All right, so that was my conversation with Marco DeSantis of Sugar Colts. Again, 20 years of start static. It is hard to believe that some of my favorite records from growing up are, are turning 20. It makes me feel fucking old. Uh, I'm sure being in the bands, it makes you feel equally uh, as, as old. Um, but it is one of those things where sometimes these these classic records uh, just, just age very well. And it's one of those where you throw it on and sometimes it gives you a sense of nostalgia of where you were, things you were doing at the time. And maybe in other situations, it's just a reminder that you didn't outgrow a band or didn't outgrow music that maybe it was always of a certain level and always kept growing with you. And you kept noticing different things about it as you got older uh, that you didn't know about it at the time. I think that's kind of one of the interesting things about, well, actually, I guess a lot of things, but I guess it's just mainly perspective. You know, when you're a young 20-something, you might hear a song like Bouncing Off the Wall, and it, and it makes you, it's fun because it's energetic, and you jump up and down, and it reminds you of going to see the, the Van Wilder movie with your friends. But then it turns into this thing where as you get older, maybe it's like, I can relate more to the lyrical themes and, and kind of that idea of like, oh, I just, this is how I feel, and being being in a different perspective, which is something I talk a lot about on this show, and you know, it was really cool kind of talking with Marco about, you know, the the legacy of Sugar Cult. You know, I know we didn't necessarily just hammer and focus on 20 years of Start Static, but we kind of talked about it through the lens of just, you know, fans of music getting older and, and curating things, uh, whether it be playlists or actually like your record collection or, or things, uh, or in Marco's case, maybe tour stories or stories about making these albums and so forth. And it really does kind of become this this weird snapshot of a time but also the time that's informing what you're going to be doing moving forward, you know, as far as being a musician where we're always about a year or two behind everybody as far as the output of what they're doing. So it was a lot of fun getting to talk to Marco. I could talk to that dude for hours. Um, so I would love to have him back on another time and just shoot the shit for a little bit. That was kind of the fun thing with with this sometimes when there's not necessarily really a thing to plug, but like we can just kind of go wherever the conversation's going. So uh, big thanks to Marco. If you'd like to keep up with Marco, well, I'll make it real easy. He has Instagram, and it is at his name, Marco DeSantis, on Instagram, all one word. Uh, if you'd like to keep up with Sugar Cult, they're on Facebook at Sugar Cult Rock and Roll. Uh, they do not have an Instagram, and Twitter is just at Sugar Cult, or you can go to SugarCult.com. I believe I'm going to click on my own link. I believe pre-orders are still available for the Start Static uh, Deluxe Edition, the 20th anniversary. Let me double check, 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 check. Ooh, they have a clear and the black. Everything else has sold out. Almost all the other bundles have sold out. They do still have some hoodies. I actually might pick up a, a hoodie here pretty soon. Um, I might do that and surprise my wife uh, with that. But um, 
<laughs> don't tell her. Uh, so it's one of those. If you would like to go to that, just go to sugarcold.com, pick up some uh, Start Static merch, bundles, vinyl, whatever you are able to pick up. And uh, we're going to wrap this up. If you would like to keep up with us, it's simple enough. You can find us at brewspeakpod.com. That's the landing page for anything you need to know about our show, all of our socials, all of our friend shows that we like to promote. And speaking of promoting, I want to plug our awesome podcast sponsors. Starting with Rockabilia, head on over to rockabilia.com where they have over 500,000 items in their online store. Use our code brutally and take 10% off your total purchase order on point palm for keeping our beard and hairs looking on point use our code bsp15 and take 15 percent off your total purchase order and last but not least is the bean bastard head on over to beanbastard.com pick up some delicious coffee and i'm fucking excited my wife uh, surprised me with tickets to the every time i die christmas show and our airbnb is about five minutes away from the uh the actual bean bastard store so i'm gonna go there uh one day and get some breakfast and get some coffee and uh very much looking forward to it it's been a long time coming to actually go to the brick and mortar store i remember when this whole thing was just an idea maruso had started so to actually see it come to fruition to a full-on store that has employees and and is all of this is is really inspiring so i'm very much looking forward to going down there to buffalo and, and checking out his store And before we get out of here, I want to plug the Patreon one more time. Uh, We are putting up a lot of the episodes, actually all the episodes, before they ever air. They are all up on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash brewspeakpod. For as little as $3, you'll get to hear all the audio before it comes out. And at the $5 tier, you'll get to see all the videos where they are applicable. There's also the weekly playlist that I break down, uh, as well as some other bonus content up there that is exclusive to the Patreon. Uh, we are trying to build that. I want to thank our patrons. I want to thank Sarah Schneider. I want to thank Craig Kent, Malcolm Webster, and Mark Tag. which I got to say, when Mark Tag joined up, I, I knew who he was because he is a supporter of the Josta Patreon and hearing his name on every episode. He became sort of a little bit of a a local celebrity to me where I was like, holy shit, Mark Tag is you know, following and, and subscribing on our Patreon. That's really fucking cool. So if you would like your name shouted out at the end of the episode, go over to our Patreon. We shout out everyone that follows us over there. Thank you so much for your donations. And we will see you next week where the guest is Cody Quitstad of Wage War. We'll talk to you then.